So we are in the scriptures in Ephesians chapter one in what we're calling a bless fest. And this bless fest is the idea is simply this, that according to our passage, Ephesians one, you can turn there as uh, I remind us where we are, that we are blessed according to the Ephesians one with every spiritual blessing in every way that you and I could be blessed by God. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And we have remembered the seven in Ephesians 1 by simply this silly word, carfish. And more and more, I'm grateful I'm hearing folks going, hey, carfish is helping me. I I remember that my blessing is that I've been chosen and adopted and redeemed and forgiven and informed and sealed, and I'm an heir. That is what Ephesians 1 says God has blessed us with. He's chosen us, adopted us, redeemed us, forgiven us, informed us, sealed us as heirs. And because of that, we bless him because he has blessed us. And we not only bless him because he has blessed us, we bless others as God has blessed us. And again, what's a simple way that we bless others? We invite, them, we invite them to find every spiritual blessing in God in a relationship with him through Christ. See, every blessing is reserved for the person who is in Christ. That's what Ephesians 1 is all about, that we are in him. In him, I am chosen. In him, I am adopted. In him, I am forgiven. In him, I am redeemed. In him, I am informed. In him, I am sealed and an heir. So we bless others by inviting them to enter a relationship in him, with God, through Christ. But there's other tangible ways. This weekend, Valentine's weekend, here's a great example of blessing others. A bunch of ladies got together on Friday here at the chapel, and they made flower arrangements. Not for sale. They made flower arrangements to deliver as gifts to widows in our congregation. Just to remember that even though they have lost a spouse, they have not been forgotten. Is that a blessing? Yeah, that's a huge blessing. And it was, it was an entree for even then other blessings. I got heard that one of our groups took to one of our widows who was not at home but at work at a public school elementary school. And when they delivered the flowers, it was not only a blessing of her, it was a testimony to the love of Christ, to everybody in the office. And then one of our guys prayed for her in front of everybody in the office. That's, that's being blessed by God and, and blessing others. So I want you to think, how are you blessing people? As God has blessed you. We're not to be the the Dead Sea where all the blessings flow in and and don't go anywhere. We're to be that channel where the blessings flow in and the blessings flow out. That we bless our neighbors. That our neighbors are glad you live beside them. That the people you work with are glad you work there because they experience from you 
And they might not know why, but they experience from you something they don't experience from other folks. And you know it's, it's that God has blessed me. And you have life. And because you have life in him, his life flows through them. And they're glad that God has placed you in their life. That's the beauty of the bless fest. God blesses us. We bless him as we praise him, as we live for him, and we bless others as his life, his purpose, his power. Did you, did you hear that as Matt's song turns at the end, that it's his purpose, his power, his life through us that we bless as God has blessed us. So this morning, we're going to look at the R in carfish and how God has blessed us in him. In him, right here, what do we have? Redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. So this morning, what we're going to look at is redemption. Redemption simply means this, to be released by payment. Two core ideas. I'm released, and that released doesn't just happen. It happens because of a payment made. Or it could be said this way, to be freed by ransom. See, the same ideas. There is a bondage, I'm a captive, I'm bound, and now I'm free. I'm released from that. Why? Because payment has been made on my behalf. A ransom has been given so that release could take place. So what we want to do simply this morning is look at what have we been freed from? And... How did that freedom come? How was the payment made? So we're going to start with the payment of redemption. In him, we have redemption. And here's how the payment comes. Through his blood. So payment is made by Jesus. And it's how? Through blood. Can I just acknowledge... That if you've grown up in church, you think, yeah, I know that. But have you ever thought about the Christian faith from an outsider's standpoint? From the viewpoint of, you people are just a little weird. All the focus on blood. It's a little weird, is it not? I mean, maybe you've been so indoctrinated with it that you don't think about the weirdness of the, the centrality of blood to our faith. Because blood can affect us pretty differently. When you see blood, does that like give you the heebie-jeebies or are you like, no problem? How many of you, when you see blood, you go, no problem? Really? Well, then I'm a weirdo. Because my wife's like you. There was this time where they were doing a brain surgery and they were showing it on TV and they literally peeled this person's face off. And she was like, this is so awesome. I was like, oh, tell me when that is over. And that's true lots of times. If there's ever a bloody scene in a movie or program we're watching, I'm like, oh, Jackie, tell me when it's over. I I can't watch. 
And you think, what? Any of you like me? You're like, oh, okay. They're the godly ones among us that uh, can't stand. Our little neighbor years ago got hit by another neighbor boy with a big, like, log over his head and split his skull. And there wasn't a dad involved. Mom was freaked out. So I thought I would be, like, the honorable neighbor. And I, I went with her and her son to the emergency room. And they put him there and they see all this bark embedded in it. So they pull out a wire brush and they start cleaning out his skull. And I'm going from, I'm here to support to, I'm about to pass out. I get that cold sweat that, and I was like, uh, I need to go sit down or you're going to have two patients on hand. And I was kind of embarrassed because I was supposed to be like the man there. And then I was like, I'm going to pass out. Literally, uh, I've taught the, about the blood of Jesus, the crucifixion in here. And we had a guy, literally, not a woman, a guy whew, pass out in the service. So blood can impact us and it can feel weird. You realize uh, at the end of the service, if you're here, uh, you know you got one of these. It reminds us of the blood of Jesus. And we're going to drink it at the end. Weird. Why is blood so important to release, to freedom? All have sinned. All of us have sinned. Yes? Yeah. All of us. All of us have sinned and, and therefore we have fallen short of God's glory. We were, we were made to reveal the glory of God and we've fallen short of it. And therefore, because we've sinned, what do we deserve? We deserve death. See, blood is so important in release because all of us, because of our sin, deserve to die. Thankfully, God graciously instituted what we understand now, and if you don't, I'm going to explain, substitutionary sacrifice. Now, it's not hard to understand. We all know what the word substitute means. You have a teacher, but they're sick, and so you get a substitute. The, the star player needs a break, and so he comes out of the game, and they put in a substitute. A substitutionary sacrifice is simply this. The life of the guilty individual would be spared if another life was offered in their place. See, the idea of substitutionary sacrifice is this. There is a guilty one who deserves death, but another life is given so that the guilty one doesn't die. But there is a death. And what represents life? Blood. So we see it first, most profoundly revealed in the life of God's chosen people, the Israelites, when they're enslaved in Egypt. And God says, through Moses, to the ruler of Egypt, Pharaoh, I want you to let my people go. He's going to deliver them from bondage, from slavery in Egypt. And Pharaoh refuses. He's like, no, they build 
really cool stuff. I'm not going to allow free labor to simply exit the country. And so he refuses. And because he refuses to do what God says, plagues begin to destroy life in Egypt. And he continues to refuse. Nine plagues, still no willingness. And then there's a tenth plague. And God simply says this. Because you refuse to do what I say, the firstborn son of every household among Egypt and Israel is going to die. The firstborn. Any firstborns? Been nice knowing you. Now, I can say that, but think about that. Think of you get, you got the news. What? Every firstborn son is going to die. But God says to his people, if you'll take a lamb, unblemished, spotless, and you'll take its life. And life is revealed by what? Blood. If you'll take the life of that unblemished lamb and you'll take the blood and you will literally with that blood paint the doorpost of your house with that substitute, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will Pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So, where there was the blood of the lamb, the firstborn would not die. Why? Because of substitutionary sacrifice. There was a death, but not the death of a firstborn, the death of a lamb in the place of the firstborn. This was, friends, all A, the scripture tells us, the Israelites didn't know this, they were just grateful for a substitute. But we know, looking back, that it was a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do in our place. And this is why John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, every Jewish person, when John says the Lamb of God would have thought what? Passover. When the firstborn was to die, but God did not take the life of the firstborn because of the substitutionary sacrifice, the blood of the lamb. You with me? So what do you and I deserve? Death. Why? Because every single one of us have sin. And the wages of sin is death. But what has Christ done? You were not redeemed, he says. There's our word, redeemed. You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. Now, why does he sell silver or gold? Because that's how we think of normally paying for something. You want this? Well, give me some silver. Give me some gold. Give me some cash. Payments usually thought of in monetary means. 
But he says, you weren't redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So when we remember Christ's death on our behalf, we remember blood. Life was given so that life condemned would be life redeemed. So we're not cannibals. And we're not weird. We believe in substitutionary sacrifice. We believe that a holy God requires a life. And that he sent his son to be that life on our behalf. And when your children say to you, this back in Exodus, when they started Passover, he says, when your kids say, hey, what what do we do this for? Here's what you'll say. It is a Passover sacrifice to whom? To the Lord. Why is that important? Because when you and I are redeemed, payment has been made on our behalf for release. But have you ever asked yourself, who's the payment to? You might think, well, the payment's to Satan so that we could be freed from slavery to sin. But the payment has not been to Satan, the payment has been made to to God. The sacrifice to the Lord. Why? Because we are not guilty before Satan. We're guilty before a holy God. And so he provides his son a spotless lamb in order to be our payment. It's made by Jesus with blood to God. If anyone sins, <laughs> kind of a unusual if. Yeah, when everybody sins, right? We have an advocate. You know what an advocate does? What's an advocate do? He, he represents you. He fights for you, right? We have an advocate with, not Satan, with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. It's simply John's way of saying the Lamb of God, which is spotless. Jesus Christ, the righteous. In other words, who had life, but didn't deserve death. Why? Because he never sinned. This is why the sinless life of Jesus is so important. Because apart from his sinless life, he could not be our substitutionary sacrifice. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Listen, it's a word we don't use, but I hope you're capturing it as we go through our blessings. Propitiation simply means... Wrath satisfied. See, the death we deserve because of our sins is that we deserve the wrath of God. And God does not say, 
oh, I'll just look the other way. He's holy. He can't look the other way at sin. It must be satisfied. And it is. How? Through Jesus, who said, I don't deserve death, but I will give my life, my blood, so that those who deserve death could actually receive life. I'll be their advocate. And not... And not just for ours, but for those of the whole world. When Jesus is in the garden the night he's about to be arrested and then crucified the next day, he he says, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. It's like he, he sees this cup and this cup holds something. And he's like, if possible, don't make me drink it, Dad. What's in it? What's in the cup? It's not being beaten, as horrible as that would be. It's not having a crown of thorns put on your head and beaten in with rods. It's not crucifixion, as horrible as that would be. What's in the cup is what? The sin, the wrath of God for not only us, but for the whole world. And he says, if there's any other way to redeem, to set people free, then for me, drinking the wrath, satisfying the wrath, then don't make me drink it, Dad. But not my will, yours. And so when Jesus dies on a cross, it's not just a a martyr's death. It is a substitutionary sacrifice. It is the wrath of God being poured out upon innocent Jesus so that the guilty could be redeemed, set free from sin. So our payment has been made by Jesus, and we're going to remember that. But freed from what? The scripture gives us that by Jesus, you and I are freed from three realities. First, we're freed from guilt. Good news? <laughs> Such good news, we're going to take a whole week next week. Forgiven. But it's even more than freed from guilt. We are freed by the death of Christ from guilt. And watch, we will be freed from something else. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, he says later in Ephesians 4, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, do you catch the tense there? For the day of redemption. In other words, there has been a day of redemption upon which our sin has been paid and we have been freed from guilt. And there will be a day of redemption for which we are sealed. What's that about? Well, there will be a day when we're freed from everything stained by sin. Now you may go, hey, we skipped number two. Yes, we're going to come to that in a moment. 
We will be. This is future. This is when we look at the huh, in carfish, the heirs that we have inheritance, that there will be an inheritance that we receive. And it's going to be around being freed from everything stained by sin. Why? Because of the payment of Jesus. So guilt next week. Freed from everything stained by sin in, a, in weeks after that. But today, something freed that is unbelievable good news. And I already read it to you, but I bet you missed it. You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. You were redeemed with what? The blood of Christ. But redeemed from what? What did it say? Redeemed from your futile way of life. In other words, what the scripture says is this. That when we become children of God, we are freed from futility. That prior to becoming, watch, in Christ, life outside of him is what type of life? It's a futile life. Now, I think some of you are going to go, I don't, it might not be the perfect life, but futile? What do we mean by, is life apart from Jesus an exercise in futility? Yes or no? Yes. What in the world were we freed from? (laughs) Pointless life. Useless life. That's what futility means. This is why, this is why for many the gospel is an offense because the gospel declares apart from Jesus my life is pointless, useless. Can I illustrate? Anybody ever write with a pencil anymore? <laughs> Not very often, right? But when you write with a pencil, what do you love? A sharp point. Prior to Jesus, seriously, is this pointless? I don't know if you can see it, but this, this is what struck me. It's both pointless and pointless. In other words, yes, it's physically pointless, but practically it's Yes, it's useless. It's pointless. I go, hey, write everything what you want down. And you're like, I can't. This thing is pointless. Yes. All I can do is like erase. Life with Jesus. Life without Jesus. I don't know if that offends you. See, because you may go, well, I work with some folks who don't have life in Jesus, but that's offensive to say that their life is pointless, useless. But friends, exactly what the scripture says is that Christ, when he redeemed us with his blood, 
He released us from a useless, a futile life. Why? For this reason, when you and I were created, we were created in the image of God to be one with him so that we, our lives, would reflect God. That we would be the representation in life of what God is like. That we would be holy as he's holy. And that we would exercise dominion on this earth as God exercises dominion over the entire universe. And if you ever, it wasn't, it was just like, well, what would it be cool to be man? Oh, it'd be cool if we might gave them dominion over the earth. It's not about, oh, that would be cool. It would be, that's what it would be to be created in my image. And so you and I were created. The point of our life was to glorify God by reflecting him and being the instrument through which he would do his work. You, you with me? And, and when we sinned, we lost our point in life. Do you know why? Because watch, we could only live for our point in life when we are one with him and sin separates and when we lose our oneness with God, we're robbed of our purpose. And the only way purpose can be restored is for relationship to be restored. How? By blood. When Jesus lived... Life on this earth. You know what he did? He showed us life as God intended man to really live it. He showed us the Father, and he was the instrument of the Father. He said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the works that I do, I don't do it my own initiative. It is the Father doing his works. That's how God intends you and I to live. But he said, I can only do that because I am one with him. I'm in him and he is in me. And the only way you and I can be redeemed, that is to be released, freed from a pointless life, is to be restored to oneness with God. He's asleep in Jesus. Can you see him down? I can't get him up. We have to be redeemed. But do we try to find, do we try to find life apart from Jesus? Sure. Some of you will relate to this. Peter writes, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. In other words, once you've been restored, 
Don't live a pointless life anymore. Live a purposeful life. For the time already passed is for su sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. It's not like Jewish people don't do these things. It's just Gentiles. He's simply saying, for people who live apart from God, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. You know what he's identifying here? How people try to find life apart from God. Right? Some of you could give a testimony to this. You lived life separated from God. You had lost your point. But you tried to reinstate purpose into your life with pleasure. Parties. Drinking. Drugs. Sex. Pleasure's a gift of God. But you'll never find life in it. Why? Because life is only found in him. Because that's what you were made for. Relationship with God. And the testimony of some of you is, I looked for life and I found that it was kind of fun for a season, but then I realized this is empty. This can't give me life. It's possible some of you are going, I'm just hitting that emptiness right now. And sometimes the thought is, well, then, more drink, more parties, more sex, uh, more will give me life. <laughs> but the answer is never more. Because you're trying to find a point in life from a pointless life. Because it's life apart from him. See, the power of the cross is it takes a pointless life, a futility, and restores purpose because it restores oneness. Now, is it, is it always sinful things? No. Sometimes we just find, try to find life in stuff that isn't blatantly sinful, it's just neutral. Ever heard the name Tom Brady? Yeah. So some of you are like, no. But uh, if you follow football, you've heard the name Tom Brady. A week ago, he won history, seventh Super Bowl. But I always go back to <laughs> 16 years ago, after three Super Bowls, Tom Brady saying on 60 Minutes on an interview, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think God, it's gotta be 
more than this. Now, is he saying it's got to be not three rings, it's got to be seven? No, what's he saying? It's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. My point is this. Some of us look to find life, not in blatantly sinful things, drugs and alcohol and immorality. We just try to find life in accomplishment. In a house. And if a house doesn't give me life, maybe a vacation house will. A house at the beach. And if my job doesn't give me life, maybe a better one will. And if 100,000 won't give me life, maybe a million will. And if a child doesn't give me life, maybe six of them will. See, there's a lot of things that aren't in themselves wrong. It's just they're not sufficient to give life. And more of what won't give you life won't give you life. So might be profan. You ever take this? Got a headache? Take one. Bad headache? Take two. Really bad headache? Take three. But if I start losing my sight, will this help me? No. See, I can go to the eye doctor and go, Doug, I know you're like... 56, and you're going to start needing to read, get some reading glasses. Now, I'm, I'm taking my ibuprofen. What? I'm taking my ibuprofen. Well, that won't help. Oh, no, I, I take eight a day. Is that going to help my sight? Why? Because this wasn't made to give sight. It's a pain reliever, fever reducer. Not sight restore. No matter how much I take, it won't do what it's not made to do. You get my point? See, we, we believe this somehow reality that I know what I make now isn't giving me life, but somehow I think if I make more, it's an exercise of futility. Because you're trying to find life in that which doesn't give life. The only way you and I find life is redemption. That you and I would be restored to oneness with God. So that then we could be the representation of God. To be holy as he is holy. To be his instrument. To do what God does. His will on earth as it is in heaven. See, the more we understand about our purpose in life, the more we'll understand the Lord's Prayer. Just tuck that one away and start reading the Lord's Prayer. And you'll go, oh, it connects to all of my purpose in life. It's not a magical prayer. It's showing us who we are. In him. So if you're trying to find life, and whether it's blatantly sinful 
or just trying to find life in stuff that doesn't give life. What do you do? What do you do? You turn to Jesus. When Paul and Barnabas take the gospel of life in Jesus and people are healed, they start worshiping he and Barnabas. And he says to them, man, why are you doing these things? We're also men of the same nature as you. So don't worship us. We're just like you. We're just like you and and preach the gospel to you that you would turn from these vain things to a living God. See, it's the living God who gives you and I life. And I'm simply inviting you to turn from whatever empty things you're pursuing life in whether it's blatantly sinful or it's socially acceptable, that you would turn from those vain pursuits, empty pursuits to the living God who has made payment for you so that you could be released, you could be set free to to actually live a purposeful, pointed life. What's that look like? The the sting of death, sin. And the power of sin is the law that I am condemned because of my sin to die. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, victory in life, victory in finding purpose in life is through Jesus. Therefore, my beloved brethren, so if you have, if you're listening right now and you have been redeemed, you have trusted in Jesus to be your payment. Listen, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. It's not pointless. It's not useless. In the Lord. So, how do we live a pointed, purposeful life? We abound in what? The work of the Lord. Now, if you're thinking, become a pastor? No, no, that's not. Don't think the work of the Lord occupationally. Because pastors can be as vain as any other occupation. Seriously. I can live a pointless life as much as you can live a pointless life. I can do this for my own glory, and I could do this to build my own name, and I could do this for my own pleasure as much as you can do your job. It's not about an occupation. Don't abound in the work of the Lord like, oh, become a missionary. Abound in the work of the Lord like this. Because he's not, he's talking to a, a bunch of people who had been pursuing life in Corinth. How? In sex. That was Corinth. And they have turned to the living God. He's not saying you all become pastors and missionaries. He's going, brothers, abound in the work of the Lord. Be, be this. 
be the body of Christ. In other words, as Christ now is in you or you are in him, then now live life the way Jesus lived life on this planet because he lived with purpose. Oneness with the Father. Reflecting the Father. Doing the work of the Father. Are you the body of Christ? If you've been redeemed, are you the body of Christ? Yes, you are. You're the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. That's why we call this a bless fest. We have been blessed with freedom from futility so that we can be a blessing to others. And that is by saying, I'm going to be the body through which God does his work. I'm going to love people who feel unloved because that's Christ. And I'm going to forgive as I've been forgiven because that's Christ. And I'm going to take care of orphans because that's Christ. You see? I'm going to help the weak. And I'm going to encourage the faint-hearted. I'm going to go to family group and be the body of Christ. I'm going to go home and be Christ on my street. I'm going to be Christ and invite somebody to a place called Alpha. See, it's not about an occupation. It's about a life that has been freed from vanity, emptiness, that no matter what I fill it with, I'm still empty. So then be filled with Christ. And now, filled with Christ in him and he in me, Man, I can live a life that matters. Do you know what that would look like for you? A marriage that matters? I love the reality that he created us male and female so that the person of God would be represented in male and in female and, and in a single and in a marriage and in a church, the body of Christ that blesses and loves and is kind and is helpful and forgives like your spouse. You forgive them because they're going to sin against you. And you're going to sin against them. And the glory of God's going to be revealed when you forgive one another. And you're kind to one another. And you love like you've been loved. And you give like you've been given to. Redeemed. And that you would be steadfast in it. And don't stop. It's toil. Meaning what? It's hard. But it's not empty. We saw it, if you were here last week, hard to adopt six kids, but not empty. Full of life. That's what I want to invite you to. A life full of life.
oneness with God. How? Through blood. His life given on our behalf. This is why the scripture declares it was the gut father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself. Having made peace, how? Through the blood of the cross. So I invite you to take these out. Anybody not have one? Go ahead, put your hand up right over here. Ushers come in over north. If you don't have one, just put your hand up. If you're watching from home, I hope you would take something as a reminder of substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus. Go through the routine if you're new. Take the clear top off that reveals the wafer and take the foil top off. You have the juice. We say juice because it's freaky to think blood. And it's not. But folks, say it without hesitation. This is to remind us of blood. Because this reminds us that life is only found in the one who gave his life. So that we who were guilty, that we who were futile, would be restored to purpose. Have you trusted in Jesus? If you've never trusted in Jesus, I invite you right now. Jesus restores purpose to a purposeless, pointless life. Would you trust in him? And if you have trusted in him, would you renew your submission to him? Lord, I am here to be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work, what? Of being the body of Christ to my neighbor, to my spouse, to my family to my coworkers, to live life as God intended man to live it, redeemed. So you hold these elements. Let's declare what God has done for us in Jesus.